Y'all are listening to the Maverick of Marketing Radio Show. And now, here's your host, Shannon Maverick. Hello, hello, howdy, and top of the Monday morning to you. Shannon Maverick, the Maverick of Marketing here, your host for Maverick of Marketing Radio, and so happy to have joining with me um, my awesome friend, Tyler Kern. Happy to be here. Happy Monday morning to you. Happy Monday. What's better than a Monday morning with a little bit of marketing, a little bit of fun? Uh, A cool Monday morning with a little bit of marketing and a little bit of fun. I was having this discussion with someone the other day. I just come alive in October. I'm a spooky gal at heart. So anything (laughs) that brings Texas into the rest of the world of fall, I am all about. You're all about that, huh? Oh my God. I got to wear my coat to work, which was strange yet exhilarating. (laughs) (laughs) And not because the office was freezing, because it was a little chilly outside. So... It's an amazing feeling. Yes, yes. It truly, truly is. I know, but despite um, the temperatures being cool, we have an even cooler segment today, which I am seriously pumped about. Um, So getting to talk all about my first experience at the Texas State Fair this past week. I know, I've lived in DFW my entire life, and yes, it was my first time at the Texas State Fair. This absolutely blows my mind. I know. Well, we were saying off air that um, I grew up, going to Fort Worth and the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo, um, being an ag and kind of country horse girl myself. So yeah, first venture to the fair. So get to talk all about that. Some of the um, Big Tech's Choice Award winners as far as food goes. Oh yeah? Yep, you'd be surprised. Some interesting things. Um, Yeah, kind of the origins of the state fair, how it started off and how it kind of evolved into what it is now. also, we'll be talking about a couple things going on in the world of business, something that's very close to my heart, and that is um, reducing plastic. One of the biggest consumer good giants in the world, Unilever, um, producers of some of your favorites, Ben and & Jerry's and Dove and many more, um, is cutting their use of plastic in half. Um, really? Which, coming from a company as monumental as they are, that, that means a lot for not only the economy, but the global climate um, as a whole. So learn a little bit more about that. And then most exciting, I think, joined with special guest, the OG, the original Maverick of Marketing, my father, John Maverick. All right. Yep, yep. Uh, Director of National Accounts for Teleflex, um, a big medical device giant. So he's going to talk to us about all things product marketing Mm -hmm. and really how he goes into um, all the companies that he's worked in throughout his life and my life and where he sees a hole in the market and how he works not only listening to the customers and kind of listening to the needs that the market has but also going back to listening to the sales team and seeing what they see when they're interacting with current customers and how they can improve their portfolio as a whole so um, did some kind of pre-planning last night and he walked me through a couple of things and I'm so excited for him to talk with us about you get to meet uh, Jay Mav Tyler I'm, I'm I'm pretty excited about this. Also, <laughs> like, there's there's something powerful about the name John Maverick, right? Right. right. That's a powerful sounding name. I know it's your dad, but like, yep. that's that's a powerful name. Well, that was that is my papa's name as well. So my dad is not um, equated to sheriff status like my papa has. We call him the sheriff of the Maverick clan. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah. No, it'll be fun. So not only is he. Um, 
my dad. So I obviously look up to him, but it's really cool now working in the marketing and kind of the B2B realm, getting to use the lessons and kind of the advice that I've gotten from him over the course of my life. Yeah. Really looking up to him, not only as a role model being my dad, but a role model in business, truly. So that's going to be awesome. I'm so excited. Yeah. But (laughs) so on to the state fair. Yes. Yes. So Friday night, I get off work and I head over to Fair Park in Uh south part of Dallas. If no one has been, I'm sure that there are other big state fairs going on um, in the country. I know the, I think it's the Iowa State Fair is a pretty big one. Yeah. A couple co-workers going there, but there's just something iconic about the Texas State Fair. Oh, for sure. And not only um, the big cowboy himself, Tex, big Tex, but kind of just the experience that you have there, the food, the drinks, the rides. It was so much fun. There's that whole everything's bigger in Texas, including the state fair. Of course, of course. I mean, iconic. So (laughs) what I found interesting kind of doing a little bit of background research on the fair as as a whole is that it actually began as a private corporation in 1886. Wow. So we're talking like pre-World War here that we had these two and it started off as two different um, kind of conflicting entities and through the course won't give you the whole history lesson but through the course of the history of the the um what we know now as the state fair Mm -hmm. it had to go through a couple different changes and um what i found interesting is the 1950s was a huge year because that is when big tex the giant i think he's like what 52 foot tall um cowboy who kind of is the landmark walking in um he was erected um to be the kind of the figurehead of the fair. (laughs) Um, The monorail was installed to help uh, fairgoers get there a little bit easier. Um, A cotton bowl performance by the one and only Elvis Presley took place. Yep, yep. And um, even a visit from uh, Richard Nixon. Pretty incredible. Yeah, the 1950s was a cool time. Um, So it kind of went through a few different adaptations. And one thing that I thought was relevant is we have the big Texas OU rivalry game. We do. Yeah, and that's kind of what the fair um, nowadays is kind of centered around. And that game actually started back in 1929. So we've been going through a long time of this rivalry. And uh, I know we have a few people here in the office that are excited to be going. But um, yeah, so I just found that really interesting that the game's been there for that long that's fascinating it, it, i always love watching that game and seeing the stadium just absolutely split right down the middle burnt orange on one side crimson on the other right it's, uh, it's it's a fun tradition that's for sure even if i don't uh sympathize with either team. i was gonna say i'm not really you know being an aggie can't really root for i i always root for oklahoma but uh you know that's just me personally. I can't. I know it's Texas. It's my home state, but gosh, there's just something bred into me. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm, I'm I'm with you. It's this is a this is a show of Aggies today. Right. So. I know. Exciting. But um, had to definitely bring uh, attention to the Big Tex Choice Award food winners this year. Yeah. Um, in the category of best taste savory edition, we have Ruth Stuffed Fried Taco Cone. So not only are you getting that Tex-Mex inspiration that we all know and love here but it's stuffed into a cone so is it sweet is it savory is it tricking your mind i don't know wow i didn't try it but (laughs) i definitely passed several stands that were selling it all right (laughs) one thing that i did try though that we talked about off the air is um the community brewery their funnel cake beer yes that they release around this time and you actually let me know that they sell it in stores they do 
yeah, definitely going to have to go pick up uh, a six pack of that and continue kind of my fair experience at home now. Absolutely. It is so good. I get it every year. Yeah. They've had it now for three or four years. And every time it comes out, I'm like, I got to go get a six pack of it. I got to try it while I'm at the fair. Did they put the powdered sugar on the rim of the glass? No. Oh, they did that when they first came out with Uh. it. I haven't been to the fair yet this year, and so I didn't know whether or not they were doing it, but Ugh, that's one of my favorite things. No, but they didn't. I love limited-time offerings like the funnel cake beer that kind of goes right. along with the state fair. I think it's a good idea for food and beverage companies just to make sure that they're capitalizing on the season oh, and yeah. capitalizing on recent events. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure, yeah. And then it kind of, every time you have it each year, it reminds you of that season. Exactly. Um, great way to kind of put together all the sensory elements in, in remembering experience experiences exactly so yeah and one thing that's interesting that goes into um obviously at the fair i never really understood why they didn't do the cards over the tickets Mm -hmm. but i think it's because um we're just living in a world where we need to really start looking at little changes and using tickets that are paper and recyclable versus those plastic cards. Right. It's going to be a really big um, step especially for the millions of fair goers that go every Hmm. year and one thing that I was reading about this morning that I was excited to see is um, an interview with Alan Jope, CEO of consumer goods giant Unilever, and their efforts to reduce um, their contribution to plastic use Sure, that I found really interesting. Um, so if you don't know, Unilever is a huge London-based um, consumer goods company that um, has started the likes of Ben & Jerry's and Dove. And um, they've said that they're committing to cut its entire use of plastic in half by 2025. Wow. So we're not talking about a few bottles here and there. We're talking about 350,000 tons of plastic. So they're currently using um, somewhere around 700,000 tons of plastic and they hope to cut that in half. Wow. So yeah, it's that's a monumental step, not only for the global climate uh, change that we're seeing right now, because plastic is one of the leading contributing factors to um, greenhouse gases. And I even read something in that CNN article that said that plastics are expected to outweigh fish in the ocean by 2050. Wow. So to have a company as as big, as monumental, as impactful as Unilever really deciding to take a step forward and contribute to cutting their use of plastic, that Mm -hmm. is a huge step. That's what it's going to take, right? It's going to take these big companies Mm -hmm. making pledges like this um, and kind of forcing the issue, I I think, because... Um, in our daily lives, we're so comfortable with just the way things are. So if companies right. take the first step, I think that'll lead consumers on a certain level. Yeah, and it's not crazy changes to what you're already doing. I mean, right. simple things like using different types of reusable and refillable packaging options. Like they've been, even started an initiative with Dove where they do reusable and refillable deodorant sticks. I mean, as simple as that, you go up to your local retailer when you run out of your favorite deodorant and they right. simply refill it for you. Exactly. That's not, you'd already go up there anyways to buy a new one. <laughs> So you may as well just use the same container. Exactly. So it's simple changes like that that are really going to make an impactful difference. So I was really excited to see that. So, yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to go to a quick commercial break here. And then when we come back, we're going to be joined by John Maverick himself. So stay tuned. Today's content is brought to you by MarketScale. Do you run a B2B business? Nobody creates more podcasts, videos, case studies, and blogs for B2B marketers like you than MarketScale. Ask us how we can help you today.
All right. Welcome back to the Maverick of Marketing radio show. I'm your host, Shannon Maverick, and joined with me today, the one, the only, John Maverick. Hello. Good morning. Is this the Shannon Maverick of hashtag Maverick of Marketing? <laughs> the one and only. Yes, sir. Um, for you listeners that are just now tuning in, I got to speak with my co-host here, Tyler Kern, this morning talking about how not only is John um, one of the leading medical device marketing experts, but he also happens to be my father. So, yes, very excited to have you with us today, Daddy-O, Fabio, all the nicknames that you have. Um <laughs> And yeah, Tyler and I were talking a little bit earlier about uh, the importance of really seeing a gap in the market and not only listening to obviously your customers and kind of where they're seeing um, that gap, but more importantly, really going back to your sales team and listening to their troubles and kind of their um, experiences when dealing with those customers, prospective customers, prospective buyers. So I would love for you to start us off um, by talking about your history kind of in the medical world and really where you've seen your experiences lead to kind of being an expert in just that product marketing. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I had the blessing, I started out in sales and not everybody has to do that, but it is definitely an advantage because you get a chance to be customer facing Mm -hmm. uh, a lot and you hear a lot of opinions from a variety of different types of people. And then Then I was promoted into different marketing manager and product development positions, both in public and private companies. And I think the thing I've seen as I've moved into large organizations through the years is the the inability of marketing managers to take risk. Uh, Mm -hmm. It seems to be disappearing. And I think that early on, one of the, the opportunities I had to work was for a gentleman that he often would say that the biggest difference between him and a lot of other marketing directors was that he would go ahead and do it and everybody else thought about it. And I think you can get too far into, well, voice or customer is very important. You can get too far into the data. You can get too long into focus grouping and having to get everything just perfect when you just need to get the product prototyped and into the hands of people so they can see it, feel it and touch it and then get it on the market. Right. Uh, you, you need some home runs. You have to build around some home runs, but not every product needs to be a home run. It needs to be a revenue contributor. And I think that it's, we've gotten too safe in a lot of organizations, especially the large ones where the climate tends to be more safe than risky. And it's actually the larger organizations that could afford to take the risks. It's the smaller ones that take the risks and, and typically have more to lose because it can make or break them. But mm-hmm. I would just encourage marketing managers to you know, get in the field with the customers, shake hands, talk to them, but then don't, don't be afraid to take the risk. Get the product prototyped, get it into the hands of people, and get it on the market. And if you have to make some adjustments along the way, that's fine. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be studied by 100 different people. It just needs to get out and help people. Yeah, and that kind of lends the idea to this entire show and kind of the whole idea of being a maverick of marketing, right? It's not just our last name, but it's the idea of really taking those risks, asserting yourself as a leader in the space, even if it means you're doing something that might be risky, if it means you're doing something that's not necessarily conventional, you're doing something that puts you ahead of the market. 
And um, has there been a time where you've been kind of in those talks and those product development meetings where you put a product out and you've seen it kind of not go as well as you thought it might because you were so concerned about just getting something out there? Or do you see usually is is uh, you can lead to those home runs like you were saying? Well, it's it, the interesting thing is I've, I've had the experience uh, a couple of times where we didn't take the risk and we got beat to market. Yep. And then all of a sudden you're facing not being first in the mind, you're being somebody that's coming along behind it, whether it was your idea first or not. And that, you know, that's the, that's the risk. I think I look at it differently in that respect that I'd rather get on the market than wait around and be beat. And then you're fighting number one and totally. fighting number one's tough. Totally, really tough. It's, you know, first in the mind's important, but creating a category you can be first in is is really special and i think uh, too often we sit behind mirrors and we listen to people talk and then we look around and two of our competitors have come out with something similar already and it's on the market and they're the ones that own the idea and we're stuck facing having to overcome that yep even though y'all probably had the idea first but somebody beat you to it that's interesting yeah, that goes into the whole idea of um, being a market disruptor. And like I always bring it back to Yeti, who in my mind is one of the biggest market disruptors, because until they came around and really created um, a brand, they created a ecosystem, a, an idea of using coolers. There were plenty of manufacturers and cooler um, companies on the market. But until Yeti really came in and changed the consumer's idea of actually living the life of Yeti. I mean, there's people driving around with with bumper stickers of Yeti that that had never happened before. So they weren't the first to market, but they were the first to really create an idea, create an ecosystem around their product. But yeah, in the world of B2B, it's definitely, you got to act first and kind of question later. And you're right. I think there definitely are too many times where you see people sit in those focus groups, they sit in, on the data and they really look instead of just getting the product out there and really um, acting on it. So thanks for sharing yeah, that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think for, you know, the organizations that have a sales force, that it's such an important piece, a place to go to take your product or to listen to what the customers want. I mean, the salespeople are in front of those people every single day, whether they're key opinion leaders or, you know, or they're disruptors themselves. And I think too often that's not listened to. And the idea has to be baked too long. And, you know, then the moment's gone. Yeah. I was going to say, do you find that um, in your experience, it's it's kind of a forgotten resource that the marketing team really, truly works with the sales team? Because in my experience, I, I've seen that a lot of these marketers that I talk with, it seems common sense that they go to their sales team. But oftentimes, it's actually a, a conversation that's not had. So do you find when you go in and kind of start doing these product development talks that usually the sales team is left out and that's where really where you get that inside information. Yeah, I think it's, I think the intentions are good by a lot of marketing managers to get out into the field and work with the sales team. Mm -hmm. uh, but it tends to end up being something that's farther down the priority list on their objectives, you know, quarter to quarter. And too often they find themselves getting stuck, you know, at the desk being a project manager versus being a marketing manager. And I think the more often that marketing and product development people can get in the field with the sales team, going to calls, listening to customers, shaking mm -hmm. hands, the better. And I think that that's not done as often as it could be. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, now's the time in the segment where I like for my guests to, if they feel so inclined, give a shout out to someone that they've worked with in their life that they really see and admire as a maverick. So you can name names, you can name a company, but or even an experience that you've worked with someone that's been monumental in your career as a marketer that you want to give a shout out to to highlight them as um, embodying the idea of being a maverick. So anyone that comes top of mind? Yeah, there, there is a gentleman that uh, I got to know back in the 90s. Uh, and he and I worked side by side. Uh, in a sense, we grew up together uh, doing this. And uh, this gentleman's name is Neil Foster. Um, he runs an agency in downtown Fort Worth named GCG Marketing. And uh, Neil and I took a lot of risks. Uh, he, we had a lot of great marketing positioning ideas, and his team and him brought a lot of different ways to think about things that uh, sometimes when we took the organization, even our organization wasn't ready for it. But we, we had a good time. Uh, being in front of customers and coming up with ideas. And he was one of those that did exactly what I was saying earlier, would be mm-hmm. to get out with the, with the sales teams at the trade shows, you know, with the marketing managers, customer facing, getting to know the customer, having that relationship. And, uh, and for that reason, uh, they've been very successful in, in other parts of the industry uh, that they decided to attack. And so I, I have a lot of fond memories of, uh, that marketing relationship as I grew up in the in the uh, industry. Yeah, and I totally like spur of the moment asked that, and I didn't know you'd say Neil. I do personally know Neil, so I can attest to that. Um, y'all are just too funny together, so I'm sure that business relationship was a lot of fun, both personally and professionally. So um, very it cool. Was. <laughs> and then one last thing that I always like to ask my guests as well is, what does it mean to you? to be a maverick of marketing. What does the idea of being a maverick really mean to you, John Maverick, um, in a business sense? Really embracing taking risks. Mm -hmm. Uh, The times in my career that I have been the most satisfied in any company is when we were doing something completely off the wall or different, or, or, or the reality was it was on us to make it happen so they could advance the organization when your hair is on fire, when you're just going with the gut, when you're surrounded by people that have the creativity, taking risk is being a maverick and, and embracing the idea, hey, I might fail. This might just completely bomb, but that's yep. okay. Uh, you've got to have some of those happen to learn from it, but more often than not, you'll win. And uh, it's a lot of fun when you're winning like that. I'd rather be out front getting bugs in my teeth <laughs> than being in the back of the crowd sucking up the gas pipes, you know. Amen. Uh, that's, that's, that's the fun place to be. It's hard, and it, and it takes a special kind of personality, but it's a lot of fun to be out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. That was so interesting to hear, and I totally agree. That's really why I started the idea of Maverick of Marketing, is to really embody the companies that get ahead of their market, that really take opportunities to assert themselves, because we live in such a day and age in B2B that if you continue to do things like they were back 20 years ago, heck, even back five years ago, you're falling behind. And it's sad because I've, I've talked with companies, I've seen companies that stick to the idea of, oh, well, we've been around for 50 years now, we've been successful up until this point, why wouldn't we still be successful? 
And it's because just like what you were saying is they're not taking those risks anymore. They're staying complacent. They're staying amongst the industry. And it's sad because you see these these lifelong brands that are starting to fall to the wayside to those disruptors that we were talking about earlier, the ones who do take the risks, the ones who do get their boots on the ground and really listen to the market, the ones who are out there customer facing and seeing how can we change things because the marketplace in and of itself is changing. So yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on here, Daddy-o. <laughs> really loved You're having the OG Maverick on Maverick of Marketing. And yeah, we look forward to hearing more from you um, in the business world. Thank you very much, Shannon. <laughs> Shannon. Excuse me, Shannon, we have just a little bit of time left. You're heading out to a trade show this week. I was going to say, there's things happening uh, in the next week that I'm excited to talk about. So, yes, not only will I be heading up to Chicago for yeah. the Process Expo, biggest food processing manufacturing show going on. Um, so excited to be heading up there. We have a couple partners that'll be there, but more importantly, I'm just excited to get my feet back in the world of agriculture and food production. There you go. Good old roots, uh, my degree in agribusiness, get to put it to use. Um, and then, yeah, not only that, but also stay on the lookout because the Nobel Prize winners will be announced this week. All right. So really exciting things happening in the world. So Big stuff. Yeah. So we have the state fair still going on. So I have to go back out there and try Definitely. some more fried food. Some of the big <laughs> tech's winners. Um, we got to hear all about, I think the main theme of today was just take risks. Mm -hmm. If you're in any kind of marketing position, don't sit on the data. It's obviously important to look at, but don't sit too long on those um, discussions. Really just get out there, get customer facing, take those risks and know that if you do fail, you're not waiting Till someone else comes up with the idea. Absolutely. I yeah. think that's a huge lesson to take away from today. Yeah, I do as well. So really great show. Really excited. If you're going to be up in Chicago, please um, let me know. Message me, Maverick of Marketing on Twitter, mm -hmm. um, on LinkedIn. Uh, really excited to meet everyone. And yeah, until next week. We'll be back in one week. Yes, sir. And always remember, Mavericks don't run with the herd. <laughs>